My name is Julia Khan, and I'm a Barnard Speaking Fellow. My job involves helping students communicate. I host group workshops and one-on-ones, and I work directly with professors to supplement curriculum. I help students with anything ranging from public speaking to how to approach a professor in office hours. And in all of this, I think a lot about language and how we use it. My producer, Mignot Mulugeta, and I wrote and researched this episode because we think it's important for the Speaking Center to think critically about what we do. Specifically, let's think about dialects. Spoken English dialects. And what is Barnard's relationship with them? Past, present, and future. I'm asking these questions intentionally and with love. I'm going to bring in controversial and potentially shocking evidence from Barnard's past. And the point of this is to remind us about our college's history so we can make a more sophisticated model going forward. In this episode, there's a central question we need the tools to answer. What is Barnard's relationship with spoken English dialects? I'm going to examine this question using theory, interviews with current professors, and documents I found from the Barnard archives. I'll start with a theoretical overview about what dialects are and why they matter. Then, I'll talk about pedagogical trends at Barnard. And finally, I'll ask what's at stake with the professional model and preparing students to speak American Standard English in the workforce. So, what is a dialect? Dialect refers to the specific ways that people with a shared geographic or cultural background use language. Vocabulary, pronunciation, grammar, all of these components work together to create types of speech that reflect their speakers. So why do dialects matter? Well, dialects matter because they tell the world where we're from and who our communities are. They reflect certain meanings and experiences that don't always translate to other dialects. And not every dialect is valued or even respected the same way. Author and linguistic activist June Jordan fought for the survival of Black English amongst Black students and for its legitimacy in education systems, which got me thinking about the role of higher education in shaping how we speak and how we think we should be speaking. In 1974, the Conference on College Composition and Communication, or CCCC, released a statement titled The Student's Right to Their Own Language. This statement declared that since dialect is not separate from culture, but an intrinsic part of it, accepting a new dialect means accepting a new culture. Rejecting one's native dialect is to some extent a rejection of one's culture. With this in mind, I sought out to understand how Barnard shapes how we speak, and by extension, the communities that we belong to. So what's historically been Barnard's relationship with spoken dialects? To find out, I went through the Barnard archives and looked at course catalogs and graduation requirements from 1908 to 1975. Some form of speech test was required for all students from 1922 to 1960. These tests took place in multiple different English classes that all students had to take to graduate. And besides proof that these tests took place, I found something else in the archives. 
A Circular of Information from 1950, written by then Dean of the College, Millicent McIntosh. She wrote, No student whose work in any subject is unsatisfactory in regards to English form or expression shall receive her degree. This attitude towards dialects was ingrained into Barnard's culture at every level. Students could not graduate and were reminded of this fact unless they spoke in a manner and dialect deemed acceptable by Barnard. And these rules didn't just exist in theory. I found one last document in the archives. Specifically, a two-page list from 1962 of student names with a note attached saying these were students who failed their speech exam for one of three reasons. The first reason they could have failed was that they spoke with noisy articulation. The second was that they had weak or unattractive voices. And finally, the third reason that students could have failed their speech exam was that they spoke in a markedly substandard dialect. Clearly, these 40-some years of speech tests weren't just harmless formalities. They singled out students who spoke different dialects and stopped them from graduating. So this was the 20s through the 60s. What's changed? Well, nationally, pedagogical trends started to recognize the validity of students' own language. That report, published by the CCCC in 1970, made a range of recommendations. They argued that teachers should help students gain confidence in their preferred way of speaking, and that methods to improve speech that focused on correcting differences were harmful. Their recommendations focused equally on challenging teachers' and students' prejudices towards different dialects. So how have these national trends affected Barnard? Well, the people currently designing the first-year writing curriculum are aware of these ideas. One postback told me the goal of the program is to improve students' logic and their ability to articulate their ideas. The goal is not to get students to write in Macintosh's quote-unquote good English. But these are written dialects. How has Barnard's relationship with spoken English changed since the 60s? Well, as Professor Chris Baswell from the English department puts it, And I think for a very long period, um, that issue of student speech in class was just a third rail that no one was going to touch, right? It was because it was so fraught, uh, understandably. But we're talking about speech again. Barnard students come to the speaking center, either by choice or for class. I was talking with a senior lecturer in the English department about their hesitations towards sending students to the speaking center. I'm not saying the speaking model, the fellows model is corporate. I'm not saying that. But it is, it, there's a certain formality to it and a certain kind of, there are certain assumptions underlying it, which I don't find valuable because it, to me, it's, 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 it's a kind of emptying out. This got me thinking. What's going on when I come to lead a session where students ask me how they can sound more quote-unquote persuasive? What's at stake? What could be lost? Well, according to that same professor, quite a bit. I'm trying to think what would be lost if I made people talk. We have a lot of different kinds of students in class, and some of them, they are not raised to talk. And it's none of my business. You know, and it's a culture it's it's a culturally inflected expectation. Once again, I'm brought back to what underlies all of this. Dialect 
is a manifestation of culture. Professor Anne Prescott, who's been teaching at Barnard since the 60s, shared with me a story of a time she saw this emptying out. A black student who had spent her undergrad at New England liberal arts colleges came to her. She said that something embarrassing had happened and she wanted my help. She had gone home to Virginia Mm -hmm. and nobody could stand the way she talked. Her accent was now uh, Vermont. Wow. And she came from an African-American family. So she wanted to know if the Barnard Speech Department could restore her Southern Black accent. I realized students at Barnard whose native dialect wasn't American Standard English were faced with a linguistic choice. Speak to graduate or speak to your family. American Standard English wasn't just required, it was required at the expense of something else. You couldn't always have both. So how can students, faculty, and admin try to reconcile these pressures? Well, we've got to start by talking about where these pressures to speak American Standard English come from. So let's dive into the professional model. Barnard is one of the most selective and elite colleges in the country, and many students who come here are looking for the pedigree that an institution like ours offers. This pedigree includes the opportunity to learn how to speak American Standard English, if you don't already. But for many students, this comes naturally. There are people who have this linguistic advantage, myself included. Those who risk a loss in language are tasked with deciding which dialect serves them better in life. But why is there such an emphasis on speaking American Standard English? While there are many different answers, one particular reason came up during my interviews. The ability to navigate the professional world. As Professor Prescott says, There's no such thing as correct English. Mm -hmm. Depends on whom you're trying to impress. There's a mutual agreement between students and the college that we will leave here with some idea of how to enter and succeed in the workforce. But if the professional model is the site of loss in language, how can you rectify it? I'm going to close out the episode by positing some possible solutions. Here's what one professor suggests. How are you heard by others? How do you bridge the communication gap? You, you You code switch and you use double consciousness. In other words, you don't lose your original because you can, you can, you can change dialects, but you can also, knowing who you're talking to, you can figure out how to communicate with that particular audience, it's back to audience again. Or double consciousness, because it means that I can speak to you with this hat on and with this hat on. So those, those are the answers to that question, to me, as metaphors, code switching and double consciousness. When they talk about double consciousness, they're referring to W.E.B. Du Bois' term, describing the compartmentalization of oneself. This compartmentalization comes from living in a world shaped by the expectations of dominant groups. In other words, double consciousness and code switching in tandem refer to being able to maintain one's original dialect while learning how to speak in American Standard English. But how can we be sure that there are spaces at Barnard to affirm and preserve native dialect? If they're not in the classroom, what do these spaces look like? How can we uplift them, ensure their success, devote resources to them? These are questions I want to make sure we're thinking about when we leave. Language is a fundamental part of who we are. 
Next episode, we're going to put what we've learned here to work. We know Barnard has a history of limiting student expression. Where does this still exist, and what work is being done to push back? We'll talk about the spaces on campus that affirm native dialect. This episode will be partly a recap of work we're doing through the Writing and Speaking Center's Collective Advocacy Project, or CAP. So, if you have anything to share about work you do that supports Barnard students using their original dialects, please let us know. We'd love to feature you. Thanks to everyone for listening. Special thanks to the following people for making this possible. My producer, Mignot Mulugieta, who held me accountable to deadlines and helped turn nebulous research into a compelling narrative. Thank you to Martha Tenney at the Barnard Archives for helping me find crucial historical documents, and Rachel James at IMATS for teaching me how to edit. Thank you to Irene Golden, Allison Emmett, and Mia Chalella, other fellows who provided valuable insight into this project. Thanks to Dominique Ballou, Daniela Kempf, and Pam Cobrin at the Speaking and Writing Program for their moral, intellectual, and financial support for this project. Thank you to Anne Prescott, Chris Baswell, and other helpful professors in the English department for their time. Finally, thank you to my brother Jared for writing and recording the soundtrack for this episode. Tune in later.